used to being up there and controlling the mic from that end, not this end. Uh, good morning, y'all. It's really good uh, to be with y'all this morning. If I, I know we got a few guests in the house as this very special Sunday. Um, if you haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Jeff Davidson. I am the youth director uh, here at Parkway Hills. This is obviously a very special Sunday in the life of our church, uh, a very emotional uh, Sunday uh, as we get uh, ready to send out our uh, graduates and also looking back a little bit and recognize our college graduates who've gone out from us in the last uh, three or four years and have accomplished what they've accomplished. Um, with that in mind, it's really special. It's always special to get to preach, um, whether you're doing it every Sunday or occasionally or anything in between. This stuff really matters. Um, so I'm really excited to be here on this Sunday to mark this occasion and to hopefully find something uh, for our graduates and find something for all of us in Scripture on this special day. Um, I'll go ahead and get us into the text and then kind of explain a little bit of the context of the text. We'll be, uh, as you've seen your bulletin, in Jeremiah 29 today, uh, beginning with verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, if you are not familiar with Jeremiah 29, there's a really famous verse just right after this one, and we'll get to that a little bit more in a minute, where God says that he knows the plans that he has for the people he's speaking to, a plan to prosper, not to harm them. And that's one of those ones that gets really tacked up on a lot of, made into a lot of youth group t-shirts and tacked up on a lot of mirrors to remind you in the morning to fire you up for your day. And it really kind of gets a little bereft of context. And we'll jump right into it and name the fact that, as you may have caught at the very first verse I read, this is being written to a group of people who have been take, forcibly taken from their homes and marched away to somewhere they don't want to be. That is not as a cheery context as that verse by itself. God knows the plans that he has for my life. It turns out those plans might also include forcible exile, according to Jeremiah. But it's where we are. Now, yes, I'm reading a, and preaching from an exile text on Baccalaureate Sunday, the Sunday of hope and optimism and encouragement. And here I am reading from, hey, remember that time that Israel's got like marched out like thousands of miles away from home at the point of a spear? Um, we'll get, I'll explain why, but I'll first just go ahead and name that it could have been a lot worse. Uh, when I was starting to look and figure out what I felt on my heart for the Sunday, I just automatically went ahead and looked at the lectionary for today. And the New Testament lectionary passage for today was the stoning of the martyr Stephen in Acts. <laughs> So this might actually be an upgrade. Like, they turn out alive. Like, Stephen doesn't make it. 
And I, I told Haven that, and Haven just kind of, like, I'm in the bullpen kind of area of our office, and I just, just stuck my head into Haven's office, and I said, because she asked me what uh, to get ready for for children's moment, and I said, well, so, I don't know yet, but I probably won't do the lectionary, because it's the, steening, Steve, the stoning of Stephen. And she just kind of stops and kind of looks in the middle distance for a second, and then just begins to pantomime children's moment, and goes, okay, kids, everybody pick up a rock. <laughs> So again, we're actually, given that we're doing an exile text instead of a martyrdom text, we're actually doing a slight upgrade. Sadly and funny enough. But again, this text is born out of a really hard time in the story of God's people and the story of God's redemptive work in history. Yet we really like the comfort of that verse. I know the plans I have for you, the plan to prosper you, not to harm you. Ah, it makes us a little nervous when it's connected to the fact that these people, yeah, were in exile and didn't know how the story was going to end and didn't know what was in front of them. The people of Israel had seen all the hope, all the promises, at least as they understood them, cast down from high places and evaporated like mist in the sun. The northern kingdom of Israel had already fallen to the Assyrians. The southern kingdom of Judah had now fallen to the Babylonians. And the, the powerful people, the rich, the nobles, um, the talented, the educated, uh, were being marched away to Babylon. Babylon's kind of approach to conquest was to take the, those who could give them something um, and kind of amoeba them into their culture and learn from them and then leave everybody else back in the country that they had conquered as a tax base. Um, and Jeremiah is writing this. Jeremiah has been warning, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming. And finally it's come. And then he's sending a message to those who have been marched away from Jerusalem to exile. And, and he gives this message. After, a, if you read Jeremiah to cover to cover, it is a grim book. It, it's, it's not like if you're in a bad place and you're like struggling with some stuff like my advice is probably not read Jeremiah for your nightly reading because it, it is some grim stuff at first and then here ironically after chapter after chapter of you know the bad things coming the bad things coming the bad things coming the bad thing comes and Jeremiah suddenly switches and says hey Here's some happy things you should do. You should have weddings. You should plant gardens. What gives, Jeremiah? Why does this pertain to us on baccalaureate Sunday? The first thing we want to do is we want to take care of a little bit more of that context and, and ask any questions we have in the text. Something we always do with the youth uh, when I read a text before I really jump into my lesson is I ask them to interrogate the text. What we mean by that is we believe the scripture can hold up to our tough questions. Scripture invites us to dream deeply about itself. And I can't hope to teach them in the years that they have with me everything in there. I don't want, they may graduate from high school, but they don't graduate from Bible. And so if they see something in the text that's not necessarily in my lesson, good. I hope that reminds them. And I hope that reminds all y'all. You, you don't graduate from Bible. So one of the questions that I came up with looking at this text Beyond, obviously, the context, who's Jeremiah speaking to, we've named that, what's the, the point in history is he, is he speaking, 
One of the questions I got hit is what is the lie in question? Like the first part is really helpful and then the part after this that I didn't read is kind of helpful. You've got the thing about the, I have the pla uh, plans for you. But I ended with that section of don't listen to these other folks who are preaching to you. They're deceiving. So what is that lie in question? The, the chapter 29 doesn't really name that for us explicitly. But if you read the full context of the book of Jeremiah, uh, most scholars agree that it has to do with how they should approach exile. Um, I've seen scholars go back and forth or, where there are prophets basically telling them, give up hope, God has abandoned you. Um, where there are prophets, the other kind of main idea is prophets were telling them, God hasn't abandoned you, but don't really bother with the day-to-day -day stuff. This is going to be quick. This world in which you have found yourself isn't your home for very long. So I just don't bother leaning into things. You're basically going to go to timeout in Babylon for a while and then wait 10 minutes. God's going to feel bad and come get you out of the corner. And here's God saying, don't listen. Put down roots. Be yourselves. And do it in a way that blesses those around you. And that's why this text is so radical. When you read it in and of itself. And within the context. Yeah, planting gardens and getting married. That, I mean, that, like, y'all, we live in Mississippi. That just found, sounds like the plan that most people are hoping for their kids in our culture. Like, we all like growing stuff down here. Uh, I've got a little pepper garden. Elizabeth, usually when we get home, she gets annoyed because I want to stop and like pull the weeds out first. And she's like, can you please unlock the door first? Um, and let me inside. Um, we, all, we all like doing that. Um, and yeah, we want our kids to grow up. We want them to find their own place in this world. We want them to find their own families, these sort of things. So what makes this so radical? What makes it so incredibly radical is that God is telling them to, to do this in a circumstance in which they are not in control. In a circumstance to them that feels like an apocalypse. And by that, I mean, yes, that we have a very big dramatic sense of that word. But it really goes back to the idea of an unveiling of a new thing that hasn't been seen yet. And the end of something that came before. And this feels like an especially profound apocalypse for them. Jerusalem is gone. The temple of God has been knocked down and destroyed. They don't know if they should keep their religion. Like the thing that tells them that God is with them, the place that God comes to meet earth is dirt now and tumbled stone. This is an existential crisis for them. This is an apocalypse. And in this moment of dire, deep threat, when they wonder, is there any point to this whole thing we were doing? We're getting... We don't know why we're going to bother with this. And we're being marched away in, to live with our enemies. The people that we have hated. The people that we have gone out and been separate from. The folks that we have had nothing to do with because of what we believe. We're going to live among them. And God says, yeah, you are. Plant a garden. Build a community. 
and make sure that the place that you find yourself in is better off because you were there. And I definitely think that applies to our graduates. I'm hoping, obviously, that it won't be so much of an enmity situation they're marching into in college, as much as maybe the people of Israel were. But the reason why I have this text selected today, but we also read it through the lens of Genesis and Revelation, is that what I found remarkable in Scripture is that this Scripture is not about, a, while this text definitely has something to do particularly with the people of Israel in this time period, in this circumstances, God's consistent instructions across Scripture is plant a garden. God really, really likes gardens. The very beginning, before things have gone wrong, before things have gotten ugly, before hatred and murder and racism and even the little petty things like how hard it is to break loot soil that's gotten dried out and I imagine probably before mosquitoes bit humans God plants a garden and says human made in my image I want you to tend to this I want you to cultivate this I want you to take the things that I have given you says God don't oppress them don't knock them down don't let them get out of control either. Find the things that make them thrive. I want you to bring order and beauty and thriving to the thing that I've put in front of you. At the end, when God gets back to the goal that God set out to from the very beginning, what does God do? Finds a garden. And says, y'all come home. That has been God's mission the entire time. While this verse is about the people of Israel in the 6th century B.C., it is just a reflection of what God does consistently over and over and over again throughout history. Because God's complete and utter goal is to call forth people who would take the things that God gives us Find ways to make them thrive. Find ways to make them flourish. Find ways to make them blossom. And find people to do that together with. What makes this passage so radical isn't that God says, plant a garden. God keeps saying that. What makes this passage so radical is in the midst of every reason to not plant a garden. God says, plant a garden. This is how God works history. This is how God works through us. You know, the, yesterday I came up here and uh, I, was, uh, I got the screen up and was doing some things uh, next door and getting ready. And already, like, we're not even to the worst of it yet. I remember walking through that little, the breezeway over there and it's like, man, it's, it's a tad warm. Already. What's it? May 7th. I'm already I'm, I'm, I'm ready for June and July and how hot the beach is going to be with y'all this summer. Um, and the, the air conditioner was already, like, I'm having to wait for a little bit to get cooling up in the, in the, uh, in the youth room. I was in some setup there yesterday afternoon. 
Uh, and it just made me more think about uh, some of the images I want to leave you all today. Uh, folks, could you uh, put the first image up for me, please? So, this looks like a gorgeous lush image. It was much better than me walking through that sun-drenched uh, breezeway with the concrete radiating at that heat. See two women here walking through a, a gorgeous little piece of, of uh, property here with uh, trees over them. It's very lush and beautiful. What if I told you that this was in the middle of one of the most uh, drought-stricken and poorly managed agriculture-affected parts of the planet? This is actually in Ethiopia. Um, this is an image that has stuck with my head since I first learned about it and have always, it's one of those, like I was telling Haven earlier, if I ever get the chance to go to Africa, like this is like on my immediate, like I want to see this in person list because ever since I learned about this topic, it has resonated with me and messed with me in the most beautiful way. You see, in Ethiopia, there's a denomination um, commonly in the English-speaking world referred to as the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. Uh, they see conservation and growing gardens as part of their faith. It is connected to it for them. It isn't just like, a, hey, it's neat that we have flowers at our church. They build and nurture whole forests around the church. Guys, go ahead and give me the next image. This is how they organize their churches. This is how they live. In the last century, northern Ethiopia, the highlands of Ethiopia, has lost about 90% of its forest. Pretty much the only highland forest that remains in Ethiopia is because of churches. They've been doing this for centuries. There are about 20,000 of these pockets of beauty scattered throughout Ethiopia. And this is how they live. And this is how they see their faith manifested in the world around them. They've, again, they've been doing this for centuries. And now here, when we're dealing with so many questions and confusion and pain surrounding uh, human impact on the planet, climate change, deforestation, loss of habitat, loss of endangered species, some of the most critical saving of biodiversity in Africa is thanks to the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, who has, again, been doing this for centuries. Now, as we are facing this problem more and more, uh, researchers both from Africa and from other countries have started to partner with these churches to help them uh, succeed in this even more, to help catalog this biodiversity, to, to help them grow the impact of it, to help keep them healthy, Sounds a lot like what God told through Jeremiah. In the midst of everything that's pushing back, in the midst of everything that wants to sap away life, plant a garden and find people to come into community with to do it with. They have actually begun to expand. You see those little walls there to make sure that the, the stray cattle and whatnot don't get in and start munching on the little baby trees. They've actually started, some of these, uh, these first churches they've begun partnerships with, they have actually begun working with them to expand the walls out to grow more trees with the hope of eventually merging some of the, the church forests together into larger and larger forests. Fred Bonson, if you want to read an article, a, a long form about it, uh, look up Fred Bonson's The Church Forest of Ethiopia in Emergence Magazine. He writes, 
It was beautiful, even from a distance. From every point in the landscape, the eye would be drawn exactly here, its gaze traveling over the surrounding brown fields with no rest until it arrived on the sudden lushness bursting with every shade and hue of green. Surrounding the forest was a handsome new stone wall contouring around the hill in both directions toward the horizon. It was an inviting place, a place where you, you had been walking for hours across this dry, hot landscape, as many people did before arriving here. You would be instantly drawn to this place of coolness and rest. City on the hill was an ancient scriptural metaphor for the place where God's people gather, but here, I thought, was an improvement on the old trope. One more fitted for today's age. Less militant fortress than mystical refuge. The forest on the hill. You know, I think rather, this is me editorializing, I think rather than a change or a modernization of that old image, I think that's more in line with what God has been after this whole time. When we think city in today, when we hear city on the hill in today's language, I think we are tempted a little bit more towards like city, like city, city. And I think God wants it to be a place where you see across the distance, you know, that's where thriving is. That's where hope is. I want to be there. So graduates, whether or not your college experience is everything you hope for, this is the call in the midst of chaos. Call for thriving. It's a story of Genesis. It's a story of God and history. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of agriculture. To plant a good garden, you have to till the soil first. Even in the midst of chaos, that's when God works. You've got to break it up. You've got to loosen some things up. And that's when thriving can happen. Find others to come alongside you who are making shelters and making gardens and then merge those forests as they grow. It's not the call just for them, though. It's not just the call when you're away from home, whether that's voluntary away from home for college or forcibly mocked into exile and anything in between. It's our call as the people of God. God is just always doing, and Jeremiah is saying, this, is, this doesn't just matter when you're home. This is what you're supposed to do as the people of God. Plant gardens and find people to plant them with. You know, maybe living down here has gotten us really used to green in a way that folks in Ethiopia aren't. I, I kind of get numb to forests sometimes because, like, I'm from Alabama and I live in Mississippi now, so, like, trees are just kind of, like, part of the deal. And that's kind of how maybe we kind of get used to that about we live in a part of the world that at least that pays at least lip service a lot to Christianity. We kind of take those faith gardens for granted, too. But this is the call. Just because there's some trees out there already doesn't mean we ain't got room for more. I mean, we've got one down right now that we're having to chop up. We need to plant a new tree. And I don't just mean that about the tree that's down there, as beautiful as our spot out there is, and as cool and as welcoming as it is. These things matter. It beautifies our property. It beautifies our world. It impacts it environmentally. I can tell you right now, it's cooler down there than it is in that parking lot. And there's a moment to be thankful for, for your pastor, by the way. You know, a few weeks back, we did the, the outdoor worship. I was really afraid that that piece of land wasn't going to dry out in time. I was convinced there was no way it was going to dry out in time. And I was hoping that 
in April, it would still be cool enough that the asphalt wouldn't be too hot. And that part of the asphalt down around the corner where it kind of slopes, I was 100% gonna put us out there. Uh, and, and Don said, no, 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 let's put it on the grass. It's actually not burning. Um, yeah, green things matter. Growth, thriving, and life matters. Whether it's your comfort of where we had outdoor worship that day, or more metaphorically about what God has called us to plant. Don't get used to the fact, don't get numb to the fact that, yeah, we live in the South, we already got a lot of green things around. Don't get numb to the fact that, yeah, I live in the South and I see church buildings everywhere. What is the garden that God has called you to plant? What is the thing that God has called you to call forth from the soil? What's the hard spot that God's calling you to till? What's the fertile spot that needs a little bit more attention and love? Whether that's off of college, or the next city you live in, or right here in Madison, or right here at Parkway Hills. What is the piece of soil that God has put in front of you to call something forth from? One last quote from that long article. It is a vision not of transcendence, but of imminence, of finding God again and thereby finding our deepest selves in the living world. It is an inner vision that ripples outward, stretching our awareness of the holiness in ever-expanding circles until the whole world fits inside. May it be said of us. Amen.